Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight the incredible thought leaders and personalities in our community and discover who they are at home, at work, and in between. You can find all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. Firstly, I would obviously thank Christine so much for inviting me to talk about this because uh, last two months have been pretty chaotic for me and having to actually talk to people about this is not just helpful, but like I can get a lot of perspective from you guys as well. And uh, before I begin, I think it would be good if I can introduce myself a bit. I was born and raised in India. I spent most of my life in central India where I finished school and then I moved to the south of India for my college. And I think that was like the first experience I've had with migration. Even though it was still within India, I still faced a lot of language barriers, culture shock, pretty much climate change. And that kind of prepared me eventually for the biggest, bigger migration that, that happened now. Uh, although I would say both of these migrations are quite ex- on different extremes. When I moved to South of India, it was extremely hot. The food was really spicy and the language was quite difficult to learn. When moving to Sweden, it's extremely cold. The food is quite bland. And Swedish, in fact, is actually quite simple to learn. And after my uh, college education, I had a bachelor's in chemical engineering. I moved to Bangalore to work with ExxonMobil, where I worked with them for about three plus years. The first two years I worked in the engineering department and then I moved to uh, this team called work, uh, work Transition Team where we um, took a lot of work from the US and moved it to, to India and it was really exciting. And it's with ExxonMobil that I came across SWE. Uh, I attended my first SWE uh, local conference in 2019 and the same year I had the opportunity to attend the uh, national conference. That's when I, I, I met Margaret, I, I met Lissy and a lot of people, a lot of amazing people. And that's also quite when I knew that I want to be more involved with SWE. So I was a global ambassador from 1921. And then I went out, then I was like the social media lead and now the global lead. And I'm just so grateful that I'm able to contribute uh, as much as I can uh, to this group. And the last phase of my career is, yeah, I quit my full-time paying job and I went on <laughs> to become a broke college student, yay, uh, to Sweden. And now I'm doing my master's in innovative and sustainable chemical engineering. I've been wanting to study sustainability for a really long time. And even though a lot of my work in ExxonMobil did involve, uh, you know, saving energy, cutting down carbon emissions, sustainability, but I felt the right thing to do was to move to Sweden and learn sustainability from the best. So the last step is what I'm going to talk a lot about in today's presentation. And yeah, I don't want it to be, although I have slides, uh, more than a presentation, I'd be really grateful if it could be like a two-way communication and most of uh, the culture shocks or the values or the norms that I'm going to talk about today 
would be comparing, let's say, India to Sweden. And I'm not sure how exactly it is in the US or or any other cultures that you are aware of, but it would be amazing if you can also chime in and say like, oh, this is how it is in the US. or this is kind of similar in the US. This is different. So yeah, let's talk about the challenges. So of course, there's a lot of challenges that come into play when you're moving to a new country. And yeah, um, I kind of highlighted the four big ones for me. And uh, I'm sure these, these top four are the biggest challenges can be different for different people. But these were the four uh, that in the last two and a half, three months that I've been here, uh, this is what I've faced. So yeah, <laughs> talking about friendships, I come from a country and I think it is also similar in the US where you know you smile at strangers, you say, how are you doing? Um, have a good day to your neighbors or people you meet at the subway station or like bus stand. It's, it's very normal to do that. And yeah, India is one of the friendliest countries in the world. And I moved to the other extreme where Sweden is one of the worst countries in the world to make new friends. And this is these are not my words. This is something I found in news articles online. And yes, um, uh, I also found this that the best way to make friends in Sweden is just to go have a drink with them. <laughs> and yeah, so that this was actually, this is one of the biggest uh, challenges for me uh, that is making friends here. And um, yeah, I also have this infographic here, which talks about uh, different countries. And yes, India and US are kind of in the similar range. Uh, yeah. No, I have a question for you. I'm curious, I was thinking, so for me, I grew up in the Midwest, middle of the US, and then for college and professional, went to the East Coast for several mm -hmm. years. And there's kind of a perception in the US that even mm -hmm. like the Midwest is kind mm -hmm. of considered friendly and like the East mm -hmm. Coast is like a little bit more like abrupt or like kind of different. Like I was curious, like even when with that first migration that you made in India, mm -hmm. was there any difference it's like where you grew up in central India to where you went in southern India? I think so. Uh, but when you move for college, you automatically have friendships mm -hmm. because you're forced to interact with your classmates or work sure. in projects. So that is a big benefit because you automatically find your community. Right. Um, but uh, definitely in the northern part of India, what I've noticed, people are friendlier. Uh, people, um, you know, like out of no reason, somebody would just help you or um, say hi to you, smile at you. Uh, in South India, so because they speak languages that are very different. So if you speak their language, I think you can have a better social life, which I think applies to Sweden as well. Mm -hmm. I'm sure if I spoke Swedish uh, fluently, I, I could just go and talk to some of my Swedish friends. Um, language is definitely a barrier and I do talk about it. Uh, later today and but yes like like in the u.s there's certain parts of india that are just like more friendlier mm. but overall i can say india is definitely overall more friendlier than not not even comparing sweden with like a lot of other countries cool thanks for sharing so, yeah this is on the right you can see the indian prime minister hugging everybody no personal no regard for personal space and yeah, <laughs> this is just something I found. 
Yes, uh, like I mentioned, language barriers. So when I first decided that I want to move to Europe, a lot of my friends and family were concerned because they know that, I mean, Europe is known for having, you know, different languages. And like in the US, Canada, Australia, that's where a lot of people migrate. It's easier because you you can speak English. And in India, India is one of the largest uh, English speaking countries in the world. Fun fact, <laughs> something you didn't know. Uh, but here in Sweden, uh, this is a very old picture. Uh, it's it's from 2005, where you can see almost 90% of Swedes speak English. And 15 years later, 16 years later, I can confidently say it's closer to 100%. Every Swede I've met here speaks not just English, they speak impeccable, really good English. And even though their entire education, high school, bachelor's is in Swedish, most master's program uh, in Sweden and even at my university are actually taught in English. So that that so for me, language is not a huge barrier if I'm trying to study here or work here, but it's kind of a social barrier because people are always more comfortable in their own language. So if I'm talking to my classmates or if I'm talking to some friends, they will talk to me in English, but they're a little stiff because they're talking in their second language and they're not very confident. They cannot make jokes that easily. You cannot be that sarcastic in your second language. But I've seen their expressions completely change when they talk in Swedish versus when they talk in English. So that is actually a motivating factor for me to learn Swedish. And uh, the Swedish government does a brilliant job. Uh, they have this program called SFE, which is Swedish for Immigrants. It's free of cost. Um, you get assigned to a school. You have teachers. They provide you with books and they make sure that you're at least uh, proficient, if, if not completely uh, you know, fluent, but at least to a certain extent proficient in Swedish. And um, there's a list of languages. Uh, so if you'd already know English, the languages which are easiest to learn are placed in like this group one and Swedish is actually placed in that group. So if you already know English, it's very fairly easy to learn and you know practice Swedish. It looks difficult and I'll tell you why. So these are, I was very, first of all, full disclaimer, all the words on the left are in Swedish. Please do not read them in English. They, I know they mean completely different in English, but these are actual Swedish words. And these are also called uh, false friends because a lot of Swedish speak English so they know that these, girl, uh, these words are slightly different. But of course, I'm not here to make uh, fun of Swedish. Uh, Swedish is actually a beautiful language. And I want to share some of my favorite Swedish words, and not just because they're beautiful words, but also because they explain uh, the Swedish culture beautifully. So one of, this is a very important word here. It means lagom, which, is, uh, which means not too little or not too much, just the, the beauty of balance the finding that sweet spot. And that's what I've noticed here. People here live a very balanced life. I've seen my classmates study constantly during the weekdays. You would see them in the libraries just morning to evening studying. And on the weekend, they wouldn't touch their books, which is partying. Like that's that's the ideal <laughs> balance, I think. And even um, at work, there's brilliant work-life balance. and. I know even in India and US, a lot of companies talk about work-life balance, but it's I haven't really seen it in practice. In, in India still, um, overworking is glamorized. And I think 
there's if i uh, even if my manager tells me like yeah i know you know what uh, have a great work life balance i don't want to see you online after 5 pm you work 9 to 5 don't be available but if i see my manager online till like 10 pm it kind of gives me this impression that maybe i should also be doing that but here it's absolutely not like that 9 to 5 means 9 to 5 not even 8:59 or 5:01 people work uh uh work in that in their designated time and once they're out they spend the time with with their family and friends they do not touch their emails or their work work phones and i had a really hard time adjusting to it because i come from a culture where work is your life basically but i'm slowly getting used to this as well i try not to overwork on my weekends and i try to take it easy and yes uh sweden also has like a like talking about work life balance uh they have parental leave not just for mothers they also have it for uh, the fathers so they both take like it's it, they, i read this online it's kind of like a funny thing but very often you see like men just carrying strollers because they also get parental leave so uh like few months the mother takes care of the baby and the other months uh, the father does and here in the gender equality is very huge it's if in india i think if somebody saw like father carrying a stroller they would be like oh where's the mother of the baby because it's just assumed that women should take care of their children here it's not like that and i really like that about here <laughs> yes another one of my favorite words is called fika and it kind of builds on to the principle the lagom principle where you know you take everything should be in balance So fika is basically just like an excuse to slow down or take a break. Uh, I'm not sure how it is in the US, but when I was in university in India, we would have lectures for hours, 2 to 3 hours because the professor is like I need to finish this today. And if we would we would have to practically beg for a break like please we just need 5 minutes and he'd be like fine, uh, you know, take a break. But here I think there's a university law that for every 45 minutes the students work you have to give them 15 minutes of break which is amazing uh when the first time I attended a lecture here and I got 15 minutes of break for every hour I was like okay this is actually really good because I I feel myself focused after every break so a fika is a word you hear very commonly in Sweden not just in classrooms or you know in uh among students but even in offices you have a meeting and then everybody's like okay let's take a fika break everybody goes out has co- have coffee they eat cinnamon cakes and they just take it easy yep um uh people here are very punctual 8 am means 8 am not a minute late not a minute early and <laughs> this word actually describes the swedish culture so well to find the time to be on time like if i have to be somewhere at 8 am you plan your day accordingly which is kind of not the case in india i it's it's sad reality but indians are not known to be very punctual <laughs> and you can make appointments you can you can make an appointment weeks ago and on the actual day you will notice that yet yeah, nobody's still on time uh, i'm not sure how it is in the us but here uh, people actually get offended if you're late and i i sometimes i plan to meet a classmate at 8 am and i see them wandering around at 7:45 and yeah they take it very seriously and uh, i know i talked a lot about the differences between indian and swedish culture so uh here's another one so here in sweden we don't really get a lot of 
tax benefits to if you get married. So a lot of couples are actually in live-in relationships, which is not a, not the case in India. In India, living relationships, I think, are still a taboo. Um, but something that is similar in Sweden and India is it's okay to live with your parents. I, I know it's not the case in the US, but the word for that is mambo if you still live with your mother. So I thought this was something similar that India and Sweden has. And yeah, that's pretty much I might talk about the language barriers or uh, the cultural differences. Uh, Renaud, yeah. we have a question in the chat. How long do you think it will take to become proficient in Swedish? Mm, uh, I have met people uh, who have been living in Sweden for around three to four years and they speak fluent Swedish. Uh, but depends if you're talking just like, so I know there are like levels, even A2, even B2, I think something like that when it comes to languages. And uh, I think B1, B2 level, you should be able to reach in like a year or year and a half. But to be completely fluent and, you know, be able to converse, I think around three to four years. And of course, depends on personal level. And we have another question, uh, particularly about what you had talked about with work-life balance. So mm -hmm. this question says, have you been able to embrace more work-life balance now in Sweden? And if so, how did you adjust? And what are some things that you're doing for yourself, such as self-care or hobbies and so on? So unfortunately, <laughs> I still haven't, you know, uh, come across the good work-life balance because I have so much that I need to do during the week. And... I either keep procrastinating or because it's so cold and it's kind of dark, I don't end up doing it and it, it just keeps on piling and then I have to do it on the weekend. But I'm really working on this. Uh, I'm trying to find ways in which I can be more productive during the week and kind of take it easy on the weekend. And yeah, I'll try to spend more time with my friends on the weekends because it's very easy to just sit in your room and you know keep on working and not be social. So that is something I'm trying to do. I've promised myself that at least um, one of the two days of the weekends, at least Saturday or Sunday, I will go out and spend some time outside and be with my friends. That is one thing that I'm doing right now. I also struggle with this as well in that there are a lot of times when you're just on a roll, you just want to keep going. Um, but I was told that one way to change this is by thinking that taking care of yourself is productive time. Cooking for yourself is considered productive time. Sleeping is productive time <laughs> because you are not able to operate at your full potential if you're not taking care of yourself. So I think that's one thing I've kept in mind to at least balance my life a little bit more. <laughs> that, that's actually good advice. You're right. Yeah. Do you, are there any more questions? No? Okay. So, yeah, uh, I think uh, if I finish this presentation without talking about the weather or climate differences between India and Sweden, that would be just wrong. So I come from very tropical, warm, hot climate. And I took this um, screenshot just, I think, a few hours before this presentation. This is my hometown back in India and just sunny good temperature and uh, even though when I spoke to my mother she said it's been so cold uh, in her words and I'm like yes of course mom it's been cold and then I told her this is the weather that I'm in right now yeah and this is this is still not this is still fall it's not winter yet and it's not going to be winter for a long time so in winter the temperature gets really low and I'm actually on the west coast of Sweden which is quite warm 
So I don't even know what's happening in the north. Like I don't want to imagine. But like you said, like you can see Sunday, we have like an hour or two of sun. So my friends and I have already made plans that we have to go out. It's almost criminal to not go enjoy the sun when it's sunny outside. So, and uh, the city that I'm in, uh, Gothenburg, is very green. It has beautiful parks. So, yep, uh, I feel like moving here has really made me appreciate the little things. I used to take sun for granted, like not just granted. I used to complain about how sunny it is, how warm it is, and now I miss it so much. Uh, but when I talk about challenges, the weather or climate-related challenges, it's not so much about the cold. Uh, you can, I mean, if you have a good heat or you have, if you have good layers, you can kind of uh, battle the cold. But something uh, that my friends and some of my seniors here have warned me about is uh, seasonal affective disorder. Uh, it's a form of uh, depression that a lot of um, people in Sweden battle with. And uh, here in Sweden, it's very okay to talk about mental health uh, care uh, openly. Not so much in India, uh, kind of, um, I feel like depression, anxiety, talking about mental health is still sort of a taboo, but here uh, you can openly talk about it. And what seasonal affective disorder is that because there's less sun, uh, your body uh, your body kind of loses the rhythm. And this actually happened with me, I think in the beginning of, towards the end of October, when I was just not able to wake up, like I would sleep for eight hours, nine hours and no amount of sleep would like I would wake up in the morning. I would have so much trouble just waking up. And then I Googled it. I know it's not always a good thing to Google your problems, <laughs> but that's when I found out that because uh, the sunrise here is fairly late after like 8.30 or 9 a.m., your body does not see any light around it when it's uh, trying to wake up in the morning. So a lot of people invest in uh, something called like wake up clock. I also have a wake up clock now. So what it does is basically 30 minutes before you're waking up, it slightly uh, starts creating a bright light. So your body feels like, you know, it's, it's basically simulating the sun. And on the top uh, is uh, something called, uh, it's like light therapy. So what you can do, it shines really bright light and it helps uh, battling uh, SAD. And uh, this is, again, such a Swedish thing to do. A Swedish energy company uh, installed these huge uh, white light therapy boats uh, in the bus station so that people uh, can actually stand there and, you know, get their daily boost of serotonin. And you might think it's night, but I'm pretty sure this is around 3 or 4 p.m. in winters. There's like barely any sun. And yeah, that was about the weather or climate. Uh, Christine, if you want, we can take some questions. I don't think we have any questions in the chat right now, just some comments coming in that we definitely are feeling this right now too. <laughs> I know right now in Minneapolis, it's just gray. I also grew up in South Florida, so definitely took the sun for granted. And it's just, I feel so sleepy all the time <laughs> now that there's no sun. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, we just had the daylight savings where we turn the clocks back. So mm -hmm. it's like it is dark early now, like and especially for 
those of us who are still working from home, oh my gosh, I'll finish my work day. And then I look out and it just pitch black. Like I missed all the sun for the day. So back to the point about work-life balance, I think something for me I try to do is like, normally I think of working out as like before work or after work. And now I'm trying to think like, if there's 30 minutes at lunchtime where like there is some sunshine, like I got to go get it. Right. It just it makes such a difference in your mood. Like totally, totally agree to everything you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes my lecture ends at like 12 and I come back home and I have another lecture at 2 p.m. And I go attend the 2 p.m. lecture and on the way back. It's like dark. And I'm like, I just came back like an hour ago and there was like not sunlight, but like light. And you come back at three and I feel like I'm so done with the day. It's just 3 p.m. It's barely evening mm-hmm. I just feel like calling it a day like now I've started sleeping at nine or nine or ten and I wake up early so that at least the day feels longer right right <laughs> yes uh okay something that I want to talk about is the unwritten rules like you wouldn't find this anywhere but it's like this uh, tacit agreement that everybody here in Sweden have but everybody else that I didn't know about but yep here the subway or the bus stations or even you know inside the buses is like it's a sacred area um it's people are very uh conscious about their personal space so you cannot just go and sit next to somebody i used to do that and i would just see the person next to me get so uncomfortable and i was like oh yeah i forgot there's still covid in sweden i mean not really in sweden but there's still covid so maybe that's why but then i found out that people here uh, don't like if someone <laughs> goes and sits next to them And I've seen people stand for like 20, 25 minutes, but not go sit next to somebody. Uh, However, I usually just go and ask somebody like, hey, is it okay if I sit there? And most of the times I'm like, yes, of course you can sit here. They appreciate that you ask them, but I don't think anybody would be like, no, you cannot sit here. But yes, this is like the unwritten rule, but the country that I come from, there is no concept of personal space. What is personal space? Of course, that is an over-exaggeration, but yes, it's. I'm slowly learning how to um, uh, kind of understand people's personal space and not invade it or um, be very careful about it because it's something uh, that is part of Swedish culture and uh, I should appreciate it. Uh, you know, when we smile at strangers or we say hi to somebody, it's because uh, we think it's courteous to do, right? You, you smile at somebody and you don't want to seem rude. But it's the opposite here. If you smile at somebody, that is considered rude. So would you want to appear rude just because uh, the the rule is opposite in your country? I, I think no. So it's okay. Um, of course, uh, different countries have different rules and unwritten rules. And it's I feel like um, instead of just going against them or complaining about them, sometimes it's okay to accept how the way it is. Um, yeah, this is this is actually true. I, I wish I was exaggerating, but this is true. This is how far apart people stand normally. Yes, so I talked a lot about uh, my challenges and the problems that I've faced, but now I want to talk about how we can actually adapt to these changes or uh, we can battle these uh, various uh, problems. And one thing that I've realized in uh, if you're trying to fight any problem is basically awareness. So if you're aware of what's really happening with you or what stage of 
problem you are in, it can help a lot to come towards a solution. So uh, I came across this infographic, which pretty much summarizes everything I wanted to talk about. So the first stage is the honeymoon phase. And this is so true. Uh, I read this a few days back, but uh, I, I actually go back in time and I realized I actually did this. You use a lot of superlatives. Oh, this country is so cold. People are so uh, quiet. Um, it's like you use a lot of uh, strong words to describe a country. India was so warm. The food was so spicy, you know, and you, you're you looking from a, from a tourist perspective. In my first week, I wanted to go, uh, go to the nicest park, the most famous places here. And that's how your mindset is. And that is absolutely okay. It's okay to be in that stage. And um, something that helps in this stage is, you know, journaling or making um, conscious choices, scheduling time and enjoying this phase because this is going to pass soon and you will be in the shock phase. I was definitely in the shock phase when I think the temperature was just around 17 or 18 degrees. It's like nine degrees right now or probably even lesser. But I was so cold throughout the one, the I think my second or third week that I was really questioning myself, like, why did I do this to myself? I was in, uh, I was in Bangalore, which has one of the best climates in India. It's known for its amazing climate. It's just like summer is just slightly warmer and winter is slightly cooler, but it's, it's like imagine spring weather throughout the year. That's how it is. And I was in shock. I, I wasn't sure if uh, I was really frustrated. I didn't know what was the right thing to do. And then that's when I discovered um, warm clothing. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, if I need to stay here and stay here and be happy, I need to keep myself really warm. And that's what I started working towards. So um, yes, good thing to do in this stage is kind of remind yourself uh, over and over again why you made this change. So I started talking to myself and telling myself, see, this is uh, this is what I want to study. And this is what I worked so hard for in the last one year, you know, to make sure that I can be here. And that could help you battle some of the frustration that you've been feeling. And yes, I think I'm in this phase right now where I feel fairly comfortable, uh, but not so much that I feel like I'm home now. But yes, I've accepted that some things here will be done differently. And that is okay. Um, come up with strategies, and it's it's also okay to know what exactly uh, I like and dislike here. But also, I constantly remind myself of that the things that I like about here are um, they 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 are kind of more important than the things I don't uh, like about here. And the things that I don't like are actually issues that can be resolved quite easily. Like there's a solution to that. And yes, uh, of course, in all the stages, it's always good and uh, good to check with yourself that how are you feeling and what what can you do? Uh, a good thing that I've seen uh, that I've been doing is if I'm in any problem, I ask myself, how are you feeling? And if the solution is food, coffee or sleep, I just do one of those things. It's so simple. I mean, even if I have like a long, a huge project to do. I don't think I can do it with an empty stomach or with lack of sleep. So like Christine said, uh, sleep and eating or cooking is still a form of self-care and it's absolutely okay to spend time doing it. And yes, fingers crossed, but hopefully uh, um, 
next time we speak, I will be in the adaptation phase. Uh, that happened to me when I moved to Bangalore. Uh, there was this time when I was flying back from my hometown to Bangalore. And the moment we landed, I had this strange feeling, like just this feeling of comfort. And I was like, oh, I'm home. And that was that's when I realized that, okay, Bangalore is home for me. After living here for two and a half or three years, I feel so good. I feel so great when I come back. And hopefully that will happen. Um, I don't know when, how many years that would take, but I have a feeling um, that would happen with Sweden as well. There's so many great things here um, that I appreciate that I'm so lucky uh, to have these, uh, these things here. And uh, of course, uh, there's a bit of adjustment that needs to be done and I am fully ready to make those changes. So yes, that's actually pretty much all I put together. And I think um, this would be a good time. I, I know I've spoken so much in the last, I don't know, 20 minutes. I don't know how long has it been. But uh, yes, if we can do some questions, if there's anything you want to ask me, and yes, we can have really honest conversations here. Uh, I don't want to hold, my, hold myself back and say like neutral answers. If there's, you want to talk about Racism, you want to talk about other things? I'm completely open. We have two questions in the chat uh, just thus far. The first yeah. is that the challenge of making friends definitely resume resonates. And what advice do you have to people who are in a similar situation? Uh, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but uh, if when um, I've seen this with uh, my Indian friends who moved to the US. I always see them together. And I used to question my, question them, like, why are you always hanging out? But, you know, like, I see just group of Indian people together, a group of um, Europeans together. And now that I'm here, I actually understand them. They are your comfort people. They're going through exactly the same thing that you're going through. They know the culture you come from. They know the languages. They know the food and it's very okay uh, to find your comfort people. So if you're battling uh, with making friends, it's it's okay if you find your uh, find a group of people that you are comfortable with. But what's what could be wrong is if you always just stay with them, uh, especially if you're coming, uh, if you're moving abroad, it's always good to have international friends learn about their culture. I'm not saying force yourself to make these friendships, of course, connect with people you like, but you need to step out of your comfort zone a little bit. And you'd be surprised that stepping out of your comfort zone, that's that's where great things are achieved. I I remember now, uh, now I think it's been quite long, but when I first moved here, I just started talking to somebody who lived in the same um, student accommodation as me. And she was so nervous. Like she, she, she was like, "Oh my God, I think nobody would talk to me." And and now we're such good friends. Like we hang out almost every weekend. And I was also nervous at that time because I didn't know what to say. And most likely, when you feel like uh, you you're feeling intimidated by somebody, the, there's probably going to be a good chance that they're also feeling intimidated by you. It's just about who takes the first step. That's such great advice, Renault. Thank you. Um, we have another question that asks, now that you've taken this international step, would you consider doing it again after your master's? Oh my God, you have no idea how many times I ask myself this, that 
because at this point i'm i'm not sure if i want to do a phd or if i want to work here or if i even want to settle here and um, one of the countries that was actually on my list along with sweden was netherlands and the only thing is i tell myself is oh god i don't think i can do this again like new culture new language i don't know right now but i feel like i almost feel like i can never settle down in like one country i have this inner urge to keep moving and keep exploring new things and keep exploring new places so maybe i might i might move to a new country but hopefully not i mean it's just i i have no answer to that i don't know at this point i think because i'm so exhausted <laughs> probably not but hopefully in a few years when i'm finally at a place where i'm super comfortable in sweden and i feel like i'm ready to make the ne- next change then maybe yes i think you have a lot of time no need to worry about that now <laughs> Um I have a question of my own actually. Uh how do you suggest balancing staying true to your Indian identity while adapting to your new Swedish home? In that yes, there are new cultural norms, but uh how do you kind of maintain that sense of home and prevent being homesick? <laughs> I love that question. I absolutely love it and it is so important because i see i've seen two extremes of people i've seen my indian friends who refuse to change their ways like no this is how i've always been this is how i was raised i'm going to stay like this on the other hand i've seen my indian friends who have like they're like oh i'm i'm not from india i'm from here and i'm like mm, okay <laughs> but uh, that being said um, i feel it is very important to stick to your values uh, something if you know it's it's absolutely okay if you uh, blend two cultures or two values every culture has their own positive um uh, positive things and uh, the downsides and it is okay if you pick up pick both uh pick positive things up from both the cultures for example in india when i i did say that yes there's not a lot of mental health awareness but i like the friendliness i appreciate it and that is some i mean even though i do a uh, gosh i'm like mumbling things now <laughs> i'm sorry uh i do um appreciate people's personal spaces here but i don't think i will ever change my friendly nature because that is uh that is something that i appreciate and i like and one thing uh i can say here is it's very easy to feel uh left out uh, if you're in a group of people where you're the only where you're the odd one out but instead of thinking yourself as odd one out think of yourself that you stand out you bring diversity to the table you bring different values to the table and uh, this is something that we used to talk a lot about in exon mobile that how much they value diverse teams so whenever they used to put together a project team they would never have five project engineers working on it they would have two project engineers one design engineer one mechanical engineer one civil engineer because all of these people bring different uh different mindset to the table and i can actually give you an example something similar happened so we uh, i also work part time with uh, uh with a, a company within my college and we were working on this project my my team partner she is swedish and um so 
she was getting slightly uncomfortable during one of our meetings and i was like okay it's it's not really my place to ask her i know people do not like invading their personal privacy uh, personal space here it's private to her i i don't think i should ask her but my the indian in me was like hell no i need to ask her what's happening and i i, I uh, after the meeting i stood out and i'm like hey is everything okay and then like it was like a barrier broken now she's like no you know what i i don't feel comfortable what's happening with the project and i was like okay let's talk about it and we did and i'm so glad we did because now we are really good friends we're really good workmates and i'm so glad that i didn't change myself uh, to blend in here uh, that i still that the moment i noticed somebody was uncomfortable i spoke up uh, here the culture is very non confrontational uh if like if if somebody is facing a problem they wouldn't say anything at all uh unless it goes beyond to a certain point and then they just burst open right because you've been enduring something over certain certain time and then suddenly you burst out and the other person is completely shocked because you haven't said there was a problem in the first place and it's it's like but you never said there was an issue and which is which i don't appreciate in india the moment you face a problem you we love to complain we <laughs> we bring it up and i actually really like that about indian culture and i think i will hold on to that value wherever i go if i see something wrong if i see a problem i am going to bring it up and if i see you're having a problem i not invading your personal space but i will try my best to help you This is a beautiful story, Renu. Thank you. Uh, we actually have a question that's related to your work at Exxon Mobil. Um, can you share more about your program and career interests? Uh, they're curious about how your role at Exxon Mobil led to your interest in sustainability and where you see yourself going next. Okay. Uh, so, like I said, I graduated as a chemical engineer. So I worked in the process team uh, in Exxon Mobil the first two years uh, I was there and. I worked in something called greenfield projects. The greenfield projects are the ones that are started from scratch. And so, when things are being started from scratch, uh, the process engineer can contribute a lot more because you have more leeway in changing the designs. And I worked with one of the best managers, best project engineers, and just really grateful for everybody I met in uh, Exxon and. I've noticed that I know, of course, there's always a stigma around, uh, you know, oil and gas industry. But my work with Exxon Mobil, we always focused on how much you can save the energy, how like saving a certain tons of carbon dioxide. Um, always, uh, there was always like something that we aimed for, and so that's that's kind of I, and honestly, when you do most of the work that I did was obviously on computers, right? Because there's no refinery or no uh plants in india uh, all the examinable um business units are outside of india but when you see something on your screen like oh i did this i saved 40% energy or i saved something that that feeling is something that sticks with you and you feel like even though you're such a smaller part of the company you're making huge changes and that is that and then i realized that a lot of things that i'm doing a lot of ways in which i'm saving this energy or carbon dioxide is kind of uh, not very organized or not very structured so i wanted to study about how i can actually do this uh, the right way of doing this or the best practice and that's when i kind of knew i wanted to study this for a very long time and then actually my role changed in exonobel and i was working as a business advisor 
which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, it was such a fresh change for me. And I think this was during the time when there were lockdowns and, um, you know, I, I was desperate for a change. And I'm so glad that happened. But, and that's when I learned like the business side of things. Uh, but by that time, I'd already kind of made up my mind that I want to study sustainability. And I looked up a lot of programs. I was sure that I want to either be in Sweden or Netherlands, because these are the countries that have really good sustainability programs. I found the one I really liked. And I mean, it has such a beautiful name, Innovative and Sustainable Chemical Engineering. I'm like, okay, this is the one that I want to take. I applied for it. And yes, uh, I found out in May that I've gotten in. And Yes, then I had to break the bad news to my manager who was, I was so happy, like he was so happy, uh, he was so glad that I was doing something that I liked. And he was very encouraging and everybody, nobody in Exxon was like, oh my God, I cannot believe you're leaving, you betrayed us. No, everybody I broke the news to were happy and they were really um, uh, glad that I'm making this uh, new change. That's awesome. It's so good to hear. <laughs> it's like a very happy ending. <laughs> um, we actually have one last question in the chat so far. Um, do you have any idea of the percentage of the people in Sweden with an immigration background that are from India? Uh, have you been able to find other immigrants from India, whether in your community, in your program, um, to help foster a community in Sweden? Uh, one challenge that they had when they moved was finding a good grocery store with some of the familiar items that they'd used to cook their family recipes. Mm -hmm. um, so overall, uh, how do you feel about the Indian community in Sweden and have you been able to find one? Okay, that's a great question. And I know that there are great Indian communities in the US and Canada and it's you almost feel like home. My friends in Canada, they celebrated Diwali like it was the, like it was just like back at home. but. Here in, uh, so there, these are two different questions I feel. Sweden is very huge on immigration. There are a lot of immigrants here. They have, uh, Sweden has a very good immigration policy. And again, um, I'm not extremely sure of the numbers, but uh, immigrants who come to Sweden, they, you know, they get Swedish training. They also get like some, I think it's called a work training where they can choose to expertise uh, to get expertise in one of the areas so that they can find work and of course they get um, health insurance and everything else uh, that being said i know there are a lot of immigrants here because when i was moving to sweden my biggest fear was that i could only find tall blonde people and i am very short and i was like i am people will just walk over me they wouldn't even notice i'm there <laughs> but that's not true it's i still i mean wouldn't be fair to call it diverse coming from India, but it's fairly diverse. I see people of all heights, <laughs> all uh, all colors and all nationality, almost all nationalities. Um, of course, it could be more diverse, uh, but I feel, but I haven't really seen a lot of Indians though. This year, uh, from what I've heard from my university, this year, a lot of Indians did come to study in Sweden and it's these numbers are increasing uh, over the years. Uh, Sweden is becoming the one of those top choices for masters uh, but like for in, i can give you an example in my uh, course i think we have around 10 uh, out of uh, 40 we have like at least seven seven to eight or like i don't know if it's been seven to eight indian students but last year there were there was only one guy who was who was from india so of course that's a bit of a change and now again i think last year was slightly more difficult to move to sweden but 
I haven't really seen a lot of Indian people. I've seen a lot of immigrants, but not that many Indian people. And talking about grocery stores, there are so many Indian stores or Asian stores uh, in, in the city and near to my college. But I usually find them expensive because they have import or ex- some import duties. So I usually just go to my local grocery. And coming from India, I should point out everything is very expensive for me here. Like I have to ask myself, do I want to? Do I want money in my account or do I want to eat something? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But yes, uh, groceries are groceries are very expensive. I mean, comparing to India, I'm sure people who are here, they're, they're used to the prices or even uh, for somebody who's coming from, let's say, Australia or US, they, they might not find it expensive. I just go to my local grocery store and I can find pretty much everything there that I need to cook. And of course, I, I still cook Indian food half of the week or most of the times. And I don't think food should be a big challenge. If you're cooking, yes, eating outside is really expensive, is one of the one of the most expensive things to do here. So I don't usually eat outside. I try to, you know, uh, yeah, cook, mostly cook inside. And yeah, uh, I don't think food should be a problem here. You can mostly find pretty much all ingredients here. No, I definitely resonate with that. I have had a hard time uh, trying to make as many Asian recipes as I used to. So my palate is slowly converting. <laughs> Um, but I think that's actually all of the questions that we had in the chat. Just mm-hmm. wanted to take some time to thank you so much for putting together such a beautiful presentation. It was very engaging and also informative. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing your life story with us. And we really appreciate all of the hard work you put in. Thank you. And it's so always so nice to like, like some of these questions I hadn't asked myself. And I felt like when you asked me those, like about, you know, blending of cultures or, and it really made me, you know, um, stop for a second and actually think about it. So, and like I mentioned, last few months were like very different for me, right? Also slightly difficult for me, but talking about these complications or these problems out loud is uh, very therapeutic for me. So thank you, uh, both of you for making time on a Saturday afternoon and you know, joining me and asking me all these questions. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your social network. You can keep up to date with our podcast on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast and on our blog, altogether at altogether.swe.org.